Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Back at it again, Thanksgiving. Are you ready, Bob, to eat? Man, I'm ready, but it's going to be an interesting year this year. Yeah. Are you going to get to have gravy? That's my question. <laughs> yes, but let me let me preface it and just give you the backstory, just the brief backstory, if I may. We typically will gather in the middle of Missouri on a farm with about 70 of Barb's extended family. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And we get to see all the family and kids run everywhere, jump on hay bales, see cows and goats and you know all that kind of stuff we shoot clay pigeons in the field and all that and we we enjoy homemade and the emphasis is on homemade mashed potatoes and gravy turkey dressing brisket all the fixings deviled eggs etc so yeah yeah so we're not doing that this year because 70 people just probably not a good idea yeah so we're gonna go visit my my mom in arkansas and um, we're, she's getting the uh, Thanksgiving dinner from, I think, either Walmart or one of the local grocery stores. Okay. So the emphasis will not be on homemade. It will be on made. Very different Thanksgiving experience. Yeah. So, so in terms of, and I know you are a, you have a refined palate, Jimbo. People don't know that about you. You I are do. like, you're a chef. You you made uh you made a French person cry with your baguette. You know you oh, just yeah. like you know food. Like even though you like a Popeyes chicken sandwich, you know food, right? So <laughs> I like a Popeyes chicken sandwich because I know food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so I'm gonna have some Thanksgiving food. We'll see how we'll have to report back after Thanksgiving to see how it is. So it's gonna be kind of mass produced, prepackaged, picked up. So we'll see. So I'll probably have gravy. I just don't know if it'll be that great. Yeah. Now, if you need a homemade gravy recipe, I can send you one and you can give it a shot. See if you can make it yourself. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> hey, but speaking of going to Arkansas, I, I, I think we can't not talk about yes. the battle of the boot. And last year we put a wager on the game. We did not put a wager this year. I think mainly we just forgot to. Yeah. Uh, but but we did not put a wager on the game this year, but it was a close one. Yeah, it was. You know, I, I felt um, that the Razorbacks are competitive. They're, they're the most improved team probably in D1 football. Uh, and, you know, many announcers are saying that. So that that's yeah. really cool to see. Um, but it was competitive. And and I think, uh, you know, we – I don't – I'm not making excuses, but we had uh, a lot of our defensive line that were out. Our, our starting defensive line was out. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys just – time of possession, LSU won that battle, and those guys were tired. There's no pass rush at the end of the game. And then I think Felipe Franks just kind of decided he was going to try to take the team on his shoulders – and it was raining and he, he didn't have on his long cleats and, you know, he just, and that's didn't go well, but, you know, congrats to LSU on a, on a big win and congrats to Arkansas for being competitive. And so I think it was, it was probably the best that both of us could have hoped for from our different perspectives. There were so many bad, I mean, just horrendous calls by oh, the officials. Yes. <laughs> that part of me wonders, 
I, I don't. And here's the good thing is there was enough bad calls both directions that I think it fairly well evened out. But there were just a lot of bad calls. Yes, there were. Made it a difficult game to figure out fairly who really had the upper hand. That's true. That's true. Well, Thanksgiving, football, turkey, gravy, all those things. Here's what I want to do, Bob. I don't want to. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here for Thanksgiving week. Guys, listening, nobody needs to be sitting down with a pen and notepad like I know they always do when they listen to our <laughs> episodes and and writing out their to do list and questions. But I I think it would be beneficial to our hearts and to our listeners to just share some stories of some things going on in our churches that we are thankful for some things going on in our ministries that we are thankful for, because one of the things we talked about recently is it's so important right now in the midst of COVID and everything else going on in the world, it's always important, but maybe a heightened importance of really focusing on stories over statistics. What are the stories of God at work in your church, not the statistics? So Bob, do you have something you're thankful for that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, Jimbo, the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm, I'm thankful for new leaders mm-hmm. and the energy that they're bringing mm-hmm. to the church. I, I think we have two new elder candidates that we're going to introduce tonight uh, to the church family on our online meeting, and they've just been great to have. They, they're excited. They're, they're bringing ideas. They're uh, contributing, and I think they're going to be great additions to our our elder team. So we're going to go from three elders to five mm. uh, with the addition of these two. And uh, so I'm just looking forward to that. Tonight's the introduction to the church family to be praying for these men. And then we'll have a, a time of um, affirmation for them later. So um, I think of those two. I also think of the the folks who've stepped up in the tech areas who've done a really fantastic job since we've had to go online during COVID and what all they've brought to the table. And that's just been awesome. And then we have a, a treasurer who is a uh, is an accountant from a large grocery store chain around uh, the area. Man, I could just send him some information and he can he can make a spreadsheet look like a, a Picasso painting, man. It's just like, it is awesome. And uh, he's able to track down, you know, uh, discrepancies and if we got an expense categorized in the wrong area and, you know, all those sorts of things. And, um, and just, it's really awesome to see some individuals using their gifts to have a positive impact on the church. So I am extremely, extremely thankful for our, uh, our leaders and our, our, our new leaders in particular, who've really stepped up, I would say in the last six to eight months. That's incredible. If you have not intentionally reached out and shown some extra gratitude for your tech volunteers lately, Mm. you should probably do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, This this has been a season most likely where there has been more adapting and work in that area than anywhere else. I know everybody's had to adapt, but a lot of people, you know, like children's ministry, things like that have adapted to less, but just because they're not able to do as much, but man, the, the tech demands that, this season has brought is enormous. And so show some thankfulness and some gratitude to those tech volunteers. It's a good word. We're, we, we could not do what we have done uh, without them. And so 
I'm just grateful for them. How about you, Jimbo? As you think through uh, things to be thankful for, what are some things you're thankful for? Well, we are in the midst of a pretty massive ministry transition in my life. And yeah, big news, big news here. Yeah, this Sunday will be my final Sunday as the pastor at Redemption Church, close to seven years there as the replant pastor starting as Hibernian at Hyde Park when I arrived here and been uh, Redemption Church for several years now. And it's an interesting season. I'm in the middle of trying to clean out all the books in my office and realizing I have way too many of those books um, <laughs> and figuring out how they're going to fit in a home office um, oh, as I transition to working full-time with the North American Mission Board with replanting and revitalization and strategy and resources. And, and I'm excited about that season of ministry and excited to continue to work with the Jacksonville Baptist Association serving churches locally, which is going to keep me locally grounded and still kind of in the trenches of some things. Instead of me being in the trenches as a pastor of a replant, I'll be in the trenches helping several churches here in Jacksonville while I'm also working with NAM. But in the midst of that, there it's really been a season of reflection naturally. As you close a chapter somewhere, you reflect back and you think. But even looking forward, one of the hardest things to accomplish here for me was getting a good core of young people. Uh, we started with senior adults and we reached children and some teenagers we just had a really hard time kind of getting people in their 20s. And here was the story I would hear over and over. Some young couple or some young person in their late teens, early 20s would come to the church and they'd be excited for a few weeks about everything. And then inevitably, every single one of them would come to me and say, you know, there just aren't enough young people here. And so I think I'm going to find somewhere else to go. Bob, if every young person that told me that stuck around, we would have a massive, massive yes. group of young people at this church right now. Yes. And you know what happens, Jimbo? They always come, all those young people come and visit. They never come on the same Sunday. They always come when you have your lowest attendance and only the people that are there are your senior adults. Mm -hmm. That's when they show up. Well, here's what's been encouraging is really over the last year or two, that has started to change, and we started to get more of a core. And for a little while there, they were kind of all not connected. I tried to kind of connect them all, but it would be like these couple of young people over here, these couple of young people over here. But man, the last maybe several months, as we have reopened since COVID, I guess it's brought some of the ones that have started attending and haven't all started coming back uh, together. And almost every Sunday morning now, um, I watch that large, it becomes this large group to me, large group of like 20 young people that just gather outside the church in the parking lot after service for like 20 minutes. They've been going to lunch together and, and having a good time. And there's two young men in that group that I'm discipling right now on a weekly basis in a discipleship group. And, and they have said, we're sad that you're leaving, but it's kind of energized us all. And, and really brought us together. And we've realized that as the core group of young people in this church, we can help set the tone for how things go forward with good energy and a, and a positive mindset, or we can sit back and grumble and complain. And we've mm -hmm. decided we want to step up and help set the tone in a positive way. Man, that was so encouraging to me 
to see that and hear that and think, what a benefit that's going to be. And I want to tell you, whoever the next pastor of this church, and I mean this, I really do mean this, whoever the next pastor of this church is, is so blessed uh, because I have done a lot of the hard work and gotten rid of a lot of the toxic people. <laughs> and and pretty much everybody left is just thinking awesome. And this is going to be a great church for somebody to get to come in and take it to the next level. You know, that's really an important work that a lot of us are called to, to be the foundation foundation guys, you know, so Jimbo, you, you were able to come to visit us, you know, a couple of weeks back and you saw a lot of the, the homes in my city are a hundred years old. And what'll happen is an older person will live out their life, you know, and they'll pass away and then the kids will inherit the home and the kids don't want to mess with the home and they'll, they'll sell it. And what happens is somebody comes in and they tear the home down and they scrape it to the ground and they put in a new foundation. And really, that's what a replanter does in many ways. He, he comes in and he builds the foundation. Whenever you look at a home uh, and the foundation is solid and good, most of the time you don't say, man, that's a beautiful foundation, right? Unless there's really <laughs> problems with it, right? Then, then you're concerned about it and you usually move on. So a lot of times replanters and revitalizers are foundation guys, right? And they may not scrape it and put in a new foundation, but they certainly shore it up and they they've you know, improve it. And so a couple of things. One is thank you for doing that at your church and, and building that. And then now I think the, the, the reality is somebody who comes in after you, whatever they build, they build on the legacy of, of what you left them. And you were dealing with a legacy that wasn't great as a replanter. All of us who are replanters or revitalizers are in, in some ways are dealing with legacies that aren't that great. There's always some good parts of the church, right? There's always something to celebrate. So I don't want to make that mistake of, of leading our listeners to think that there's not anything to celebrate, but there's a lot of work to be done. But the good thing is you can walk away from that situation and just hearing the way that your your young crowd and, and particularly those two leaders have, have given word about what they feel the call on their life is now. man, that's just great, right? So mm-hmm. you can transition out and be very thankful that, one, the Lord's brought them to the church, two, that you've been able to invest in them, and three, through no really, um, you can't make them respond in that way, but the, the work of the Lord has made them respond in that way. And so the third thing, the most important thing to celebrate is just the work of God in their life, mm-hmm. to, to, to say that to you. And that, I mean, that's what a great honor and what a great privilege. I also want to celebrate that I'm getting to leave this church with a good elder team. They'll be... Yeah four elders still in place as we leave, that I've got a interim that is going to step in and do a great job who has actually been our replanting resident in training for the last year. And so he's going to step in and take that interim position. But I want to tell you, maybe one of my favorite stories of my seven years uh, at our church and, and the story of one lady that was a person of peace in our neighborhood when I got here seven years ago and changed the story of this church with her life. God used her in, in such a mighty way. As, I, as I've as i done a lot of reflecting and thinking back on things, there is this one story that just keeps coming to my heart. There's a lady named Verona. When I first got here, 20 senior adults or so, maybe 30 uh, on a good Sunday, 20 or 30 senior adults in a neighborhood that is incredibly diverse demographically, racially, ethnically, socioeconomically, in every way you could possibly imagine. 
And so one of the first things I did is just walk around the neighborhood a lot and just get to know people. And I would just find people outside and I would ask, Hey, I'm a, I'm a brand new pastor in this city and, and we're trying to revitalize and re kind of start this church. Uh, as we do that, I want it to be a church for this community. If we were to succeed in doing that in your mind, what would that look like? How, how would this church be a church for the community? That was just a way that I began conversations with people in the community. And I remember coming across Verona. Verona was sitting with another lady. They were both heavily intoxicated with alcohol and supervising about 15 children on one trampoline. And I think just all the kids in that, on that block all came to that trampoline and they were, Verona and this other lady were the somewhat responsible adults that were <laughs> supervising them. And I remember introducing myself and uh, they made fun of my name, which is typical. I'm not mad about it. That happens. Uh, it can be an icebreaker no matter where I am. Every country I've ever traveled to on missions, my name becomes a point of humor and an icebreaker. And so I remember she made fun of my name and I invited them. We were having kind of a, a big Easter launch service. And she said she might come. And I, I ran into her again. She said she might come. She ends up showing up Easter Sunday with her grandson, Danny. She is drunk as can possibly be. I mean, just stumbling, smell. You can smell it anytime she breathes and uh, like kind of took a nap during the sermon. And, but then the next Sunday she shows back up and she's only a little bit tipsy. She's there with Danny. The third Sunday in a row, she comes the third Sunday in a row, stone cold sober, comes down during the invitation and says, pastor, I need to talk to you in your office tomorrow. So we scheduled an appointment for her to come by my office that next morning. She lets me know that she's on probation. She's been evading her probation officer for about a month now. And she had not planned on coming to church, but her mama raised her to always go to church on Easter. So she figured she'd come here, this white man named Jimbo and see what he had to say. <laughs> and she doesn't remember what I said. She got, and she said, I don't know if you can tell, but I was drunk that first Sunday. And I said, not only could I could tell, everyone could tell. And she was, like, <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I was like, it's all good. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Well, she said, the Lord's working on my heart. Something's happening. I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to turn myself into my probation officer today. And so I just need you to check in on my grandson and my husband. And I shared the gospel with her. She prayed to receive Christ. Um, very genuine. And I gave her my card. And I said, hey, when you go talk with your probation officer, hand your probation officer my card and just tell them that, yes, you have been evading them and you've been trying to avoid them and everything, but that I'm helping you now and see if they'll not send you to jail if I'll help you jump through the right hoops. So the probation officer showed grace. She didn't go to jail. I helped her through finish the probation process. We helped her jump through all the hoops, get everything taken care of. Next thing you know, Verona became the little Pied Piper of the neighborhood, walking to church with 15, 20 kids right behind her every Sunday <laughs> morning, every Wednesday night. And she would go, I remember one moment in a Sunday school class, a Bible study group class, when all these people who put on a good show and always looked like their lives were together were in there and they were talking about some things. And then Verona, in just very Verona fashion, if you knew her, just real brash, it was like, hold up, time out, everybody. And everybody stopped. <laughs> and she goes, look, 
I don't even know if y'all can understand my life. Like y'all over here talking about getting into an argument with your neighbor. Like I like crack and I'm trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus and not do crack. And and she's like just dropping like these crazy stuff. But what was awesome, Bob, is all these women in that class who had worked so hard to wear a mask and always look like they had things together, started opening up and started being very vulnerable and honest and open. And all of a sudden they realized they were all broken and in desperate need of Jesus. And for the first time, some people started being open about their brokenness. I coined a phrase out of that moment that has been something in the DNA of our church ever since where we encourage people to be openly broken and just know Mm -hmm. that we're all broken. We just have different ways that that happens. And the good thing is the grace of Jesus can help us. Now, I know I'm dominating our time, but this is such a great story because we're not even near some of the best moments. So Verona brings her grandson, Danny, and... And they're coming constantly, really enmeshed into the church. She would oftentimes be one of the most encouraging church members to me. I can still remember phone calls from her on a Sunday afternoon where she would just say, you did some good pastoring today. And that's all she would say. And then she'd hang up. And it was the shortest little encouragement call. She just wanted me to know that I did good pastoring that day. Well, she ended up getting diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage four. And it was clear that the treatments weren't going to work. And... It was just a matter of time. So she calls me one day and she says, you need to come by the house. My husband, Melvin, wants to talk to you. Now, Melvin never wanted to talk to me. Melvin was an angry alcoholic with Alzheimer's who rarely had a lucid moment and never wanted to talk to me. But he wanted to talk to me. So I go by the house and Melvin says, Pastor, I don't know if you know this, but my wife is dying of cancer. I said, I know. And he said, well... Somebody needs to tell her because she doesn't seem to realize it. But she just walks around the house singing these Jesus songs and smiling all the time. And I asked her why she was doing that. She said, I got to ask you. I said, okay, all right. So I shared the gospel with Melvin. And in a rare, lucid moment, he genuinely received the gospel, got baptized. Um, And shortly before she died, she asked me to step outside and talk to her. I did. And she said, somebody has to adopt Danny. I don't want him going to the foster system. And it has to be somebody from this church, Pastor. Mm. And I said, well, I don't know that I can promise that. I mean, we're not a very large church. I don't know that I can promise that somebody will adopt Danny. And she goes, well, you and Jesus better figure it out. Because that's what needs to happen. (laughs) So, So me and my wife fostered Danny for about six months. And while she was in hospice and... We prayed about adopting him and we're certainly willing to, but we just didn't have a piece that that's what we were supposed to do. Well, another guy in the church named Stanley who had come to our church, African-American, married uh, to a white woman, and they had uh, a son, um, but he had surrendered to a call to ministry while at our church. And I'd gotten to spend some time investing in him, preparing him for ministry. They call us and essentially say, God has told us to adopt Danny. And come to find out that Danny was born right around the same time that a child that they had a miscarriage with was due. Mm. And Danny went exactly to the right home. And what's neat is to look back. And even though it's been a few years since Verona has passed away, 
I know in my own heart and in our church, there are several ways uh, that her, that God used her to change my life and change this church forever. And for that, I will always be thankful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.